Welcome to the conversation. Unfortunately, we're in dark times these days in America. One in three American states might be time for violence against the American government. You didn't hear that wrong. One in three Americans believe that it might be time for violence against the government. Now, when you get into the details of the numbers, it gets worse. 40% of Republicans, four out of 10 Republicans, you know a Republican? Well, if you know two, probably one of them thinks maybe we should do violence against the government. Uh, but it's not just Republicans, 23% of Democrats say that it might be time for violence, uh, again, against the government. And then finally, independents, well, they're cooler heads, right? No, the highest number of them all, 41% say it might be time for violence. So uh, we're now going to talk to an expert on this, Heath Drusen. Uh, is the host and creator of the podcast Extremely American, uh, and he tracks right-wing militias. He uh, actually worked with NPR on a national collaboration between 10 NPR affiliates on guns in America. And he actually went in uh, to an Oath Keepers militia, so that's super interesting. Heath, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. No problem. Uh, let's start with uh, your work in embedding with the Oath Keepers. That's Fascinating. Then I want to tie it back to the rise of potential violence in America. I think it's a giant iceberg, and we're on the Titanic, and everybody's saying the ship can't sink. And as I see the numbers, I think, mm, yeah, it can. So, but first, how did you infiltrate the Oath Keepers? Did you tell them that you're a reporter, or did you pretend you were one of them? What did you do there? Um, so, just to be clear, um, I have talked to a number of Oath Keepers. Um, the militia that I was at with at training, um, they have a lot of the same beliefs, but they actually are more of an independent militia. Uh, they are the Pennsylvania Volunteer Militia. And um, no, I, 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 I always say exactly who I am. I said I was a reporter, and it took some convincing. Um, you know, I, I I interviewed their leader and actually their number two in command um, before actually getting the green light to come to their training. So it did take a lot of convincing, but eventually they said, you know what, we do these monthly trainings, and um, yeah, you can come and basically camp out in the woods with us for our they call it an FTX, their field training exercise, um, and so. It was just a matter of it was just a matter of, of building trust, really, I guess, um, and trust in just that. I was like, you know what? I'm not promising good coverage. I'm not promising bad coverage. I'm I'm going to come out there and I'm going to say what I see, and I'm going to you know give you guys a chance to explain yourselves. Okay, a bit of a shame because I was hoping that you had like footage of you pretending to be extremely American, okay? <laughs> and I had like the camo and the face paint, the whole thing. But anyways, no, in all seriousness, so what did they do in the woods? Um, well, there, there were a few things that I mean, the, the main feature was weapons training. Um, in this case, it's it certainly might be what your viewers are thinking. Um, we were deep in the woods in the uh, Allegheny Plateau in western Pennsylvania. Um, had to drive a ways down a dirt road to get there. Couldn't see another building in sight. I mean, kind of exactly where you'd think a militia training would be is where we were. Um, and we were in a clearing in the woods, and they set up some targets. And um, just about everybody had an AR-15. So a military style semi-automatic rifle. Uh, one of them had an AK-47. 
Um, and they all had handguns as well. And basically they did first they did handgun training and they were they were training to basically respond to somebody coming at them in a way that they thought would require deadly force. So they were shooting at targets, pretending they were humans. Uh, and then they did the same thing with their semi, they did one with semi-automatic rifles, one with handguns. And the whole idea was these guys like to go to protests and act as sort of self-appointed security. And for them, this was training for a worst case scenario. Um, you know, I asked them the question, well, I mean, if people don't want you there uh, and usually they go uninvited, um, you know, should you be there ready to use deadly force? And in their minds, they were upholding the Constitution by being there. Obviously, a reading of the Constitution, a lot of people would disagree with, but in their minds, uh, that justified their actions. Okay, a thousand questions arise from that. Uh, so I don't know if when you went, uh, but if it was post Rittenhouse, was Kyle Rittenhouse their patron saint and their hero? So it was post Rittenhouse as far as uh, the Rittenhouse trial was about to happen, but um, the shootings had happened. Um, yes, just about everybody I've spoken to in the militia movement has been very supportive of Kyle Rittenhouse. And we, I actually, we have a whole episode on Kyle Rittenhouse that will come out later. Um, and what is very interesting to me about the Kyle Rittenhouse case is that he's really become a symbol for them. It's almost like Kyle Rittenhouse, the person is 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 beside the point. It's Kyle Rittenhouse, the symbol of self-defense. They see his actions as justifying what they do because they see themselves as protectors who go out there and are there to protect communities and businesses. And Kyle Rittenhouse being found not guilty to them is like a legal stamp of approval for their whole reason for being. So that case I think is hugely important to the militia movement and the way it went down. I mean, I I go down all the sort of dark rabbit holes and alternative social media like Telegram and Gab and all that. And the celebrations were, I mean, it was just jubilation all across those platforms. What I'm afraid of, I was, that's what I said on the day of, I said it in the coverage and I'll say it again today, that they took that as a green light. Go start a fight and then kill people. So Heath, but let me ask it in the form of a question. When I hear you tell these stories, it sounds to me like they can't wait. Not that, oh my God, I'm so worried and if we have to, it'd be the worst thing in the world and I'd be worried about my family, but I guess we'd have to do it. It sounds more like, oh, we can go and oh, well, there's no government here really, but okay, there's a protest of people I don't, with filled with people I don't like. What if I went to go protect people who I don't know, who cares? But if somebody were to say the wrong thing, we'd finally get to kill them. That's what it feels like to me, but you were there, so I you tell me. Right. I think I think there's a mix. Um, do a lot of these guys look forward to the chance to be there and sort of you know be a hero in their minds? Yeah, I mean they they see being there as protectors as the reason for being. Um, do most of these people want to go shoot people? I, I would say no. I think the problem is it's it doesn't take everybody wanting to get action, right? It just takes a few loose cannons. And that's where I think I'm I, I get I'm really concerned in that 
you I think you do have plenty of people there who go armed thinking that they want to keep violence from happening. Now, whether or not that's actually a good idea, I think that's extremely debatable whether bringing guns to these tense protests is going to you know keep the temperature down. But the real problem is you do have guys who want action. You know, they feel like if they bring the guns there that they want to be in a situation where they can be the hero with the gun and and use it. And that's where it gets really dangerous. And I do think the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict it's going to it's going to bring more people out with guns to these tense events and We've seen plenty of violence already. Kyle Rittenhouse was the most high profile case, but we've seen other shootings and we've seen plenty of fights. I mean, look at Portland, Oregon, where you see the, you know, the Proud Boys and left wing protesters brawling all the time. So introducing more guns into these situations is I think what we're gonna see. Um, what that spawns, uh, I'm very concerned about, especially given the statistics that you talked about with this increasing comfort with political violence in the country. I think they see these events as a place where where they can do that. And some people might look at the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict as a green light to to do it more quickly. Yeah, so I wanna ask you who they plan to shoot. But but first I'll give you my perspective, because that's what we do here. I agree and disagree with you. So I agree with you that not everybody wants to go looking forward to killing someone. I get it, I understand what you're saying, they're human. They're not just some sort of monsters, etc. And and both sides do that too much, right? In dehumanizing one another. Uh, on the other hand, I think and it's a I think it's a range. It's a range. On the other hand, I don't think any one of those guys actually is looking to genuinely try to protect people. I I they go and do camping in the woods. We don't, I don't do fantasy football, hoping that football doesn't break out, right? No, they're going in the woods and training because they love doing that and they can't wait to use it. And they're trying to find a reason to use it. Yes, in their own minds, they probably view themselves as heroes who are protecting the community and stuff. Even though they'll go to communities that aren't even their own. But you show up at a place and you said it's debatable whether it would keep things safer. No, that's not at all debatable. No, you bring guns to a protest, it is violence is far more likely to break out. Someone is far more likely to die. It's a terrible idea. And and I think, yeah, within a range, they all are looking forward to the day where they get to put their training in practice. That's my sense of it. Um, Okay, but now let me ask you a specific question. Um, When they go to shoot people in the woods in their practices, do they ever name them? And I don't mean like come up with weirdo fake names like Bob, right? I mean, when I talk about it, they say, "Oh, government tyranny." I always explain to the audience, you know, that means they're looking to tra- shoot and kill cops or people in the armed forces in the military, because the government isn't going to send a postman to do his tyranny. They're not going to send a nurse to do it. They're going to send a cop or someone from the military. So when they're training, do they think, "I can't wait to kill cops. I can't wait to kill people in the military," or is it just a nameless blob of government tyranny? So it's an excellent question and it's one that I do ask them. Um, At first, most of the time they'll kind of deflect that question. And I think a lot of these guys, they, they might not be thinking that specifically, even though of course you should think that specifically because 
you're getting ready to give yourself basically a license to kill. I mean, you should think about who's going to be on the other end. Now, when I when I do press them on it, and I, I I say the same thing, I'm like, well, you know, if you're if you're saying it's a tyrannical government, you know, the 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 people who are going to be fighting you are people in uniform. Um, I do they do usually acknowledge that that is the case, but the hedge is usually that you know in their minds the the patriotic guys in uniform will step back and they won't engage in that fight. Now, obviously that's convenient, right? I mean, look, if you're talking about a fight with the government, then you are talking about a fight with law enforcement. You're talking about a fight with soldiers. Um, we've seen two high profile armed standoffs, um, thinking of the the Bundy standoffs in Nevada and Oregon. And you know the, the folks that people were pointing guns at in Nevada, they were federal agents. I mean, we've seen this happen, nobody got killed there. But um, it was tense, and in Malheur, in Oregon, um, the 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 law enforcement around there did get into a shooting and did shoot one of the occupiers uh, after he ran a roadblock. So we have absolutely seen it happen. And yes, I mean, you can't get around the fact that when you talk about conflict with the government, you are talking about potentially deadly showdown with law enforcement and troops. Yeah, look. My opinions on this are clear. I think they're full of crap and they're doing cognitive dissonance because at the same time they'll say, Blue Lives Matter, let's go train to kill cops. That's literally what they're doing. They're training in the woods to murder police officers. And I guarantee you half of them have bumper stickers that say something like Blue Lives Matter or the American flag with a blue line on it, etc. And they think they're pro cops. Yeah, they're pro cops as long as they think the cops are actually tyrannical and on their side and don't give a damn about democracy and want to maintain right wing power. The minute they think cops might be decent and fair and just, they're like, let's kill them. Those are the bad guys. So now it sounds like I'm doing a little bit of stereotypes, but that is the reality. It's just, I know they don't think of it like that, but that is what they would do. And so, so hence, let's talk about the cognitive dissonance. Um, I, I just want to have a a fuller sense of the pretty little lies that they tell themselves, right? So, okay, they're only gonna shoot the bad guys in government, the bad guy cops and the bad guy uh, troops, okay? Uh, but when do they think the conflict breaks out? Because they're actually, in my opinion, uh, like Kyle Rittenhouse, very likely they will start the conflict. But in their mind, when does the conflict start, which will force them to murder people? Right, and 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 there is a dichotomy there, and 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 it's an important one. You know, there there is this tension between a sort of ostensible idea of supporting police, um, and the very real fact of, of 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 potential and 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 actual conflict that's already happened. We saw it on January sixth, for example. So yeah, that is a dichotomy, and um, they're not always able to sort of uh, square the, the 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 round the round peg there. Um, but I think in their mind, here's what was interesting to me. In their mind, what all, what they'd always say, and I talked to leaders all over the country for this podcast, militia leaders. I said, okay, so what, you know, we're talking about tyranny. What does it actually take to get you guys out in the street armed fighting the government? And what a lot of them said was, well, if you had a president go, you know, quote unquote, full tyrannical and tried to stay in office, after losing an election. Oh, come on. And come on. They really don't notice the irony. There's a moment. 
Well, no, no, no. I, well, I do, and no, no. There's absolutely an irony, and and if you check out the podcast, you'll you'll get to a moment where that happens in a conversation, and I point it out, and I think it's really interesting to see the response because you would think that they would be ready for that question, like, "Hey, didn't that just happen? You know, we we, we had somebody who tried to do that, and 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 it did happen, right? I mean, Donald Trump tried to stay in office. He's still saying he should be in office, and we can't get around that." Um, so that there's a, there, there's a moment in the podcast, and there's been many moments in my interviews where I brought that up. And he, I, to be honest, he was a little flat-footed. This this longtime militia leader, one of the founding members of the Michigan militia in the 1990s, and he seemed a little surprised by the question. Um, so yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think it's um, I think it's a, a paradox that they need to address because. They say they don't choose sides, but I think increasingly we're seeing this kind of weird partisanship in the militia movement, which wasn't always there. I mean, they've always been very conservative, they've always been right wing, but they've kind of been pox on both sides for a long time, like Republicans, Democrats, they're all crooked. And you're seeing that change, and I think that's an important change that we're seeing. Yeah. So, podcast is extremely American. That's the name of the podcast. And so, he's. I, how deep is the delusion? So, because um, I, I get it, like a lot of uh, people on the left don't get it. They think that uh, all these people know that they're lying. They think that they all know that Trump lost. Uh, and I keep telling folks, no, you don't get it. They actually, they don't think Trump lost. They think he won. They they think uh, that that really the ghost of Hugo Chavez uh, worked with uh, you know Democrats to rig the election. They don't know that he lost 60 court cases. He never presented a single shred of evidence because that's not the media that they're hearing, right? And I and I asked people to think about it. What if you thought that Biden, you knew that Biden had won, but just Trump just stayed in office? What would you do, right? And that's why, by the way, 23% of Democrats are saying it might be there might be a scenario where we do violence, right? And so, but you spent a lot of time with these militias, the right wing, etc. My sense is they live in a completely different planet where the truth is upside down. And again, don't get me wrong, I think corporate media is on a different planet where corporations are wonderful and the American people love Walmart and they love getting $7.25 an hour jobs and they're all obsessed with the stock market and how rich the anchors are gonna be. And like everybody's got their alternate reality. But how deep is this? Are they, I mean, do they have any connection to reality? And how do they function in life? And not being at all tethered to what we view to be reality. It's deep. I mean, look, I think to to really fully understand these groups, you do have to spend some time in the echo chamber on these alternative social media sites, like I mentioned before, you know, Telegram, Gab, um, all of those. And yeah, I mean, I a lot of. I would say the majority of people I talk to actually, the vast majority believe that Trump won. And they're not getting mainstream media. They're not getting alternative views. It's so much easier to stay in your echo chamber now. You know, in a weird way, we're talking about very analog groups, right? These like, these kind of old school armed militias. But to, to really get at what's keeping them in these beliefs, I think you do also have to go to social media. You have to go to algorithms that take them deeper and deeper down rabbit holes. 
where you absolutely can believe that an election was rigged. I mean, if you're predisposed to conspiracy theories, then the idea that the government is crooked and rigged an election is not really that far to go from where you already are. Um, is there any evidence of that? No, no, I mean, there's not. Um, you, you know, I, I don't need to both sides that. I mean, obviously, Joe Biden won the election and Donald Trump lost, and there's no evidence of election fraud. But that's not the story you get from these guys. You know, when I was literally sitting around the campfire with the uh, Pennsylvania volunteer militia guys, uh, they were talking about that. And, you know, they, they were having what kind of like it sounded like a reasonable conversation, but then it got more and more out there about exactly what you talked about, about these conspiracy theories, about you know, dead Venezuelan leaders and stuff. And they were talking about it in these really even tones, like, yes, yes, you know, that is what happened, and talking about ballots and creeks and all of this stuff. And if you if you're in your echo chamber online and then in real life, you also have an echo chamber. Um, and you know this can happen on both sides. Just right now, it happens to be happening on on the right. Um, when you're in that echo chamber, it can be really easy to really lose connection to an evidence-based world. And and I definitely have seen that. Right now, a huge percentage of Democrats think that if you get COVID, you have a 50% chance of dying. That isn't remotely true. Uh, and that's right. what's bouncing around in their echo chamber, right? So, uh, and I'm on the left, and I could still say that because facts are facts. Uh, so now, uh, but I, I want to make sure that we get to one more thing, which is what's really the core of what's driving it, right? I think Trump is a symptom and not the cause. Uh, and he, in fact, I'll share my theory. I don't want to bias you, but I'm curious. I, I you know, obviously. You, <laughs> You're pretty clear on what you think, so, um, so I think it's the corruption. Uh, I think that the uh, elites are corrupt. They take donor money and they represent the donors, and we have corporate rule in America, and it's driving the right wing crazy. And part of what it's uh, the way that it's driving them crazy is because they, when they turn to mainstream media, which is quite literally corporate media, uh, they tell you corporations are awesome, corporate rule is fantastic, the status quo is. Terrific, and as the guy's getting crushed by his boss, uh, making eight dollars and seventy-five cents when he used to make twenty-five bucks, he's really mad, and and he he thinks the one thing I know isn't true is what I'm seeing on TV. So let me go find answers elsewhere. So, what what's your sense of that, or if it, is it something else? Oh, I hear that a lot, and I do agree actually that I do think I do think the Trump presidency emboldened these guys. I think it it brought some of them out of the shadows and made them more comfortable to, uh, talking about their views out loud and you know coming to capitals armed. Um, I do think that he brought them out of the shadows, but I agree that. It, these guys were there and they were growing and they were they were growing in power before Trump and they'll continue to after Trump. What unites them is they're a very disparate group, as you might imagine. Anti-government folks don't do well with central ideology and central control. So they think different things, but they're united in this sort of absolutist view of gun rights and thinking that all other rights flow out of that. So that is something that really drives them and the fear of having those rolled back, even though we haven't really seen meaningful gun legislation in forever. And it's not really on the horizon, to be honest. 
um, they do see that as a as a major threat and a red line. Um, but what you brought up about about corporate media, yeah, I mean that comes up all the time. There's a huge distrust in media. Um, some of it, I think, is overblown. Some of it's understandable. Some of it, frankly, dovetails with a lot of folks on the on the far left as well. Um, or even maybe not the far left. I mean, just the left. I mean, the 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 media distrust you hear in the way that you mentioned it. Um, yeah, that absolutely is a driving factor because they feel like their voice isn't being heard, and I think that maybe pushes them to be more open to using methods that you know might spill over into armed standoffs or even violence. Um, it's Yes, that 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 is that is a big factor, and it's one that I I probably hear almost as much as gun rights. Yeah, when the corporate media tells you that the politicians are having a real debate and doesn't talk about the millions of dollars they're taking from their donors, the message is clear to anyone. In this sense, they are more attached to reality than people on TV. Of course, the millions of dollars affects their votes. Of course, that's corruption. Saying otherwise is madness. So I think the people on TV are crazier than the guys you spent time in the woods with. I think you should go and go to a CNN training next, embed with them, and see you know the lunacy that they talk about. Oh yeah, I think Manchin's got real opinions. Oh yeah, oh I think Lindsey Graham has principles. It's crazier than anything I've ever heard from a militia member. Anyway, all right, we're out of time. But last quick thing, Heath, and it's not a quick thing, but I'm just, and it's an overly simplistic question. What do you think is the chance of significant, not a little bit, not Kyle Rittenhouse, but significant violence in this country? Um, well, I think it's, I think it's still fairly low, but much higher than I'm comfortable with. Um, I, I think the problem is that as people think they're getting cheated more and more. And as that gets just repeated over and over again, and we get closer to another election where that could get repeated again, you do hear people literally saying, how many times can they cheat us before we get to use the guns? There's a clip in the podcast where somebody actually says exactly that. And I think the chances are getting way too high for comfort. And I'm just worried that there's a lot of politicians that either are saying nothing or are actively abetting that idea. And I don't know that they realize quite how dangerous it is and how ready some people are to use guns and what they see as a, a righteous cause. Even though there's, you know, there's no evidence of this fraud, there's no evidence of this rigging, but um, there's plenty of manufactured evidence out there and in the echo chambers that some of these folks are in, um, it becomes very believable for them. When historians look back, they'll they won't be able to believe that we lived in this delusion. They'd say they're going to say the polls showed one out of three Americans said that it might be time for violence. Why didn't anybody pay attention? And the reality is, the people in power love the status quo so much they can't see straight. They think it can't ever change, and we're going to be fine. We put we'll put them down. We always put them down. Any kind of rebellion. Oh, we don't need a political rebellion. No, 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 no. Hate Bernie Sanders. Hate Donald Trump. Speak out against them. Lie about them. It doesn't matter. Put down the political rebellion. I bet we won't have any trouble at all. I mean, they might as well change the name of the country to the USS Titanic. I mean, there's 
They, it's so obvious that something's going to happen. It's in the numbers, it's in the stories. And the people in power just don't want to hear it because they also live in delusion. All right, Heath Drusen, the podcast is called Extremely American. And as you can tell, it's extremely interesting. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, it was great. No problem.